Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me again for day three, episode three of the Simply Not Easy podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you've enjoyed the first couple episodes so far. Um, I'm having a great time with this, really enjoying it. Definitely pushing me out of my comfort zone a little bit. But like I said in the last episode, it's because I'm about 80% ready. And the rest the rest of it for me is going to be a big opportunity for growth. So it was a fun day out here for me on the West Coast in California. As I said before, I'm out and uh, doing one of my physical therapy clinicals. And for those of you who don't know as much about what physical therapy is, is or what it means to be a physical therapist. Really our mission um, is to work within the human movement system to optimize movement, to decrease pain, to increase function for people. And we can do that in a, uh, a wide variety of w- ways and for a large patient population, for a large diversity of many, many different patients. For me, I want to work more orthopedics and sports-based, but other people, they might have their love in pediatrics or neurology. So it's pretty cool having a diverse spectrum like that, but wanted to tell you guys a little bit about my day. So the first week that I was at my clinical, the first weekend coming up, um, my clinical actually offered to take me away for a extra three-day course for that Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday, and to train me in dry needling. So dry needling is something we can do within physical therapy in most states in the U.S. and absolutely in the VA system that I'm a part of. So what it is is we take these very, very fine, thin needles, and they're really they're basically acupuncture needles, but they work in a totally different way. So acupuncture is more of Eastern medicine, holistic, um, kind of whole body benefit, works off the meridian system, balance of energy, balance of chi. That's nothing at all with what dry needling does. I'm sure you guys have experienced kind of the in the upper traps, especially in the kind of the upper neck muscle area. Um, sometimes those points of tension, uh, those trigger points where the muscle gets all bound up. Well, what we'll do is we'll locate those trigger points, not just in the upper trap neck area, but all over the body. These can be in muscles as superficial as, um, your extensor tendons right by your elbow, you know, the ones that people typically think of getting tennis elbow with. You have a lot of tension there. We can push a little needle into those, the trigger points in there, and the muscle might twitch a little bit, get to relax, get it to calm down. So it's a really good way of helping promote tissue mobility and decrease pain from that. We can get into muscles as deep as your glute min, which, so you know, you got three kind of main glute muscles. Um, butt muscles. You've got the glute max, glute med, glute min, and glute min is buried right down there, just on the very very side of your hip bone, just kind of back behind that, real deep in there. And so we can get into all those different muscles, points of tension, um, places of restriction in the body, and really get into that. So, anyways, it was a really cool experience taking that course. And what I liked about it was not only its immediate effect and how we can 
you know, as skilled clinicians, we can figure out, hey, I know this is the tissue, this is the muscle, this is the exact structure that isn't working the hottest in this person. And so my next follow-up to be, I, it's not enough just to know what's going on, but I have to know what to do about what's going on. Well, some stretches for different muscles and other things can be kind of indirect. But right now we can use a dry needling to be as direct as possible to get to that exact restriction in that muscle tissue. So we'll get in there with the dry needling, do that, free it up. Um, it's a great time. The other thing I really like about it is it holds me accountable to really know my anatomy. Now I'm somebody who values the anatomy, the understanding. I want now for myself as a clinician, as a future doctor of physical therapy, and hopefully for any of my clients coming to me, you know, if I was going to a physical therapist or any other kind of healthcare profession, a medical doctor, I would hope that they know everything they can about my condition, which means they know everything they can about the human body, the way it moves, the way it um, performs. It's from both the outside anatomy, but it's detailed physiology too. And so I like how the understanding of dry needling, it holds me accountable to have a very, very high understanding of the anatomy I'm working with and people and how that can change based on different people. So that's really exciting stuff, loving it. But the reason I'm talking to you guys about this is not only for my love for it because I'm passionate, because I'm excited about it, but it's the idea of always continuing to learn. So I took this course probably about a, about a month ago. Now, my mentor in the clinic right now who's working for me, she took the same course, but she took it two years ago. So we're technically, from all qualifications standpoint, at the same level. But the difference is she's had two years to practice it while I've had a month to practice it. So obviously, she's refined her skills much more, has a much better background, has treated more people with those muscles that she's learned how to put the needle into and relieve a lot of pain. And so what I want to bring up about today was she was um, had an opportunity to learn even more. So she kind of she has a mentor in the clinic, kind of one of the head honcho boss man guys. And he gave her an opportunity to say, hey, listen, we know you got this upcoming certification coming up. She's going to take. So we, we both took the level one course. She's going to take the level two course. But she wanted to get a head start so she could choose five different muscles that she could get a that you know a little bit um harder to dry needle a little bit more detailed concern as far as safety goes to dry needle so you have to have a little bit more expertise and she could get that learning so she asked me if i would be willing to be a dummy or a model or in common colloquial terms a pin cushion for them so I'm like, all right, sick. So it was cool because I was part of the experience. I was the patient getting to experience her doing it on one side of me. So on my right side of my body, she was dry needling these five different muscles. But on the left side of my body was this, I don't necessarily want to call him a master clinician because you know the idea of being a master is that you've mastered it. Well, you continue to refine your process along the way, but either way, he has a lot more understanding he was the one teaching my mentor and he was doing that on the left side of my body so they're each getting one side to themselves and it was cool seeing their different approaches how they did it and for me as a upcoming physical therapist getting to feel it on myself because I get a better understanding of how that is for my patients too 
So I think that's the important thing is for me to be able to feel what's going on. But it was a ton of fun. I mean, so for all you fun, science-loving anatomy nerds out there, the muscles that they were doing on me was the iliacus, which is kind of deep down by the front of my hip, the psoas, which is another one of those hip flexors that people talk about a lot down by the front of the hip. We also did the QL or quadratus lumborum, which is on the back and kind of around the kidney area. So that was a good one to release that a lot of people have a lot of back tightness with. We did the longissimus, one of the erector spinae muscles, the muscles kind of along our back between our shoulder blades that run up and down just to the outside of the entire spine, helping us keep us stable in an upright standing position that are kind of help extend the area. We also worked on our rhomboids, which are just muscles between the shoulder blades that help squeeze them together, and the levator scapulae. So that's kind of a nasty, gnarly muscle that can get pretty tight in people that attaches from that superior angle of the scapula of the shoulder blade, so the top of the shoulder blade, all the way up to the neck. So tons of fun getting those experiences. Um, you know, some of the things I needed treatment on, some of the things I didn't, but it was fun. So I knew that they were gonna do those muscles on me ahead of time. So basically my homework was to say, was, hey, it's my job as Mr. Pincushion Dummy, new learning PT student, I've gotta get a real heavy workout on those muscles. So I've gotta get, mu I've gotta work those muscles hard. I've gotta work, my QL, I've got to work my erector spinae, I've got to work my rhomboids, my levator. Um, I don't ever work a levator, there's no need to work levator, it's way too tight in anybody. Um, but I need to work those hip flexor muscles too. So I got a real solid burning workout in um, the day before that gets those muscles fired up real good. So I was nice and sore and it was fun. So, you know, the more sore, the more tight you are, the more beneficial the treatment is. So they were poking needles in there and, you know, they put needles kind of in my mid back and got some good twitches out of them. So when that muscle is really bound up real well, get some muscle twitching around and that means it's working. That means it's getting everything to calm down. So it was fun doing that because I didn't necessarily need them for treatment, but it was good helping promote a early recovery from my real hard workout and tons of fun to always learn. For those of you who are not anatomy nerds out there, I'm sorry about my long rant about that. I hope you got something from it. Um, but I want to get back to where I was going last episode. Last episode, we were talking about reversing the way memory works. We were talking about how memory is typically stored in one thing that leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another, that at each little kind of trigger along the way, it's like 50 little slivers of memory stacked upon each other. That's why I can drive from New York to New Hampshire to visit my grandparents and other family out there and know the way without a GPS, but I can't describe it to you. I can't describe, hey, it's this road and this turn at this many miles. I don't know it in that detail, but I know when I get to the spot, I know what I need to do. Um, and that's how memory works um, for a lot of people. It's very common. So I'm trying to um, rewrite that. I'm trying to, in my intentional reflection, see if I can change that process up. So I spent yesterday talking a lot about my college experience and the growth I've gone through that and what it means to me. So today we're backtracking. We're going in reverse time because most people tell their stories chronologically. 
So today I'm focused on the reflection in high school about who I was in high school, what my situation looked like. Um, yeah, very, very interesting time. So glad you guys can be along for the ride with me. So high school in ninth grade, I was going to um, public school, you know, freshman year doing that. Um, I really wasn't that motivated. I'll be real with you guys. Um, you know, in high school, then, well, you're going to hear tomorrow for middle school, you're going to really get the good, the bad, the ugly then, um, emphasizing the ugly. But in high school, ninth grade, I really wasn't that motivated. Um, I was a decently smart kid, but you know, school is never my number one priority. I was always just kind of hanging out with friends. I was a nature boy. I loved being outside. Loved messing around with different sports and everything. Um, I actually, so I forget how many subjects I had, whether it was like seven different subjects or something my freshman year of high school. But every, but I got an F in each one of them. Not for the overall grade, but for every quarter. So for the however many classes I had, let's just say I had seven classes. In each of those seven classes, I got an F for the class for one of the quarters. And I mean, that's how you could tell I was a smart kid is that I never repeated it. I never got the same F again. I mean, for my history class, I got for three of the quarters, I got a 90 in each one. Well, then I think I got like a 50 in the other. And it wasn't that all of a sudden the work got harder because it wasn't one consistent quarter. It just flip-flopped all over the place. Um, and I, I was truly then, back then, about going down the path of least resistance. I was getting in some trouble in school. I was skipping classes. Um, like I said, I really just wasn't motivated or focused on school. You know, I kind of knew in the back of my mind that College was an expectation of my parents, but I was really just living in the moment, trying to get by. Well, basically, that wasn't enough. Um, and, you know, I thought I was hanging in there because my mind, hey, I'm doing better than I did last year. But long story short is my parents weren't having it, and they kind of kicked me out of the house. So soft, um, sophomore year. I'm heading off to a boarding school, their choice, not mine. So I head off to this boarding school and I remember being there having the interview and they basically said, all right, dude, we're going to accept you, but we're going to accept you on probation terms. So I had to go for a couple week orientation before the whole school process started up that year. And man, talk about growing pains. The third day there, I got in a fight with one of the teachers. Now, again, this is just me, guys, being totally honest with you. I'm a totally different person now, totally transformed. But I want to be completely blunt with you about my history, where I came from, so that you can appreciate the perspective and the growth I have in my life based on these experiences. And so I remember getting the fight with the teacher, and it wasn't pretty. You know, um, people said at the time I... And early on in my life, I had authority issues. Um, that might be true. I might have. I also think I had issues with bad authority. I never had issues with good authority. Um, but, hey, that's all perspective, right? So, anyways, I was feeling kind of misunderstood at the time. Um, but I got in a fight with a teacher basically because 
Um, you know, they're kind of military style in there, but they're yelling at me, telling me what to do and stuff, and I wasn't having it. And I was nervous, man. I was nervous that I wasted my parents' time, I wasted my time, I was going to get kicked out of the school, um, but I didn't. So I made it through the probation period, hanging back in school. And this wasn't just a typical school. This wasn't something that, um, you know, focused on just academics, which was what I needed. It focused on um, character development. And their philosophy was not only prep for college, like a prep school, but what they talked about was prep for life. And, you know, they had all these, like, they had words and principles that they went by, standards that they go by, um... But really what this was about is this was a school committed to helping people develop their character. And it was a school committed to helping people um, not only find out who they are, but discover their best self, their best version of who you are, and grow that and foster that. And what this school was about was a community. It was a community of accountability. And, I mean, those professors at that school extremely dedicated um, they were not only teachers, but they were mentors. They were, half of them were kind of like wing dorm parents, um, in the dorm. Um, a lot of them were athletic coaches. So everybody was actually, it was a small school. We had like 200 people there, 150 people there for the whole school, four grades. Um, everybody was required to play some kind of sport there when they were there. So anyways, I was going through those growing pains, getting used to the community there. Um, definitely kind of threw some resistance up there along the way. Uh, then 10th grade, my sophomore year, I um, I got I was seeing a heart doctor at the time, and I got some kind of scary results back. Um, I'll get to this later as I keep reflecting on, but in 5th grade, I passed out randomly. Um, just eating my lunch, whatever, chilling, passed out, hit the floor. That started to get more frequent. Seventh By seventh grade, it happened twice. By eighth grade, it was happening about every month. By ninth and tenth grade, I could be passing out every other week. Randomly, no idea. I've been seeing neurologists, cardiologists, no clue. And they finally figured out what was going on to a certain extent. Um... I basically was seeing a cardiologist, and he said, Listen, Nick, we've done a bunch of tests. Everything's come up normal. And he said with confidence, I don't think it's your heart. And I remember him saying, It's your choice. I'm going to leave this up to you. We can do one more test just to kind of rule things out. Other than, you know, basically he said you'd move on. And he gave me that choice. You know, he looked at me. It was my choice. Um, my parents were going to leave it up to me. And I'm very thankful that I said, let's go through with it and do the test. The funny thing was, so what the test was, it was a um, basically an EKG where I'd had normal EKGs before, but the difference and that measures the electrical signal in my heart. The difference for this one was that it was one that I walked around with for 24 hours. So I had all these wires hooked up to my chest. I was walking around with a little box on my hip. Just doing, aside from heavy activity, doing the normal things I would throughout the day. And here's the irony of it. I had this on for 24 hours, right? That was what was assigned. Then I go return it. So 24 hours is up. Um, I go return the box to them. Probably at about, you know, 
if 24 hours is done, probably about hour 29. I faint. I pass out. So here I am thinking, great, this test tells me nothing. So I was doing the 24-hour test. Didn't think anything was going to happen. I pass out after it's already recorded information. So in my mind, I thought it was a waste of time, and we still don't know the answer. Well, I got a call about a month later, and the calls, um, they basically told me what the doctor said is, Nick, that day that you felt nothing at all, no symptoms, no issues, no lightheadedness, no passing out, your heart stopped eight times. Let me just repeat that. A normal day for me, my heart stopped eight times. That's wild. I mean, I was I was in disbelief, pure and utter disbelief at the time. I didn't know what to do. You know, um, do I feel like an old man or something? I don't I don't know. And it was totally a struggle with my identity. And so basically, I was saying, okay, what's the next step? Um, so they found out it was a issue with one of the nerves going into my heart, where I just the heart structure was fine. I just I got too relaxed. That's literally my issue. I got too relaxed. When you get too relaxed in the heart, heart doesn't pump blood. It doesn't take a genius to figure out when the heart doesn't pump blood and blood doesn't get up to your brain, there's going to be some issues. So I had that struggle going on at the time. And that was tough, man. Um, basically, three months after that, I got a pacemaker put in my chest. And here I am, you know, what, 15 years old, 14 years old, and getting a pacemaker put in my chest. That's crazy. I mean, in my mind, I, at the time, I thought, you know, pacemakers are for old people. You know, sure, somebody who's 80 years old, 70 year, years old, they might get it. That might not be ideal for them. They might not be in the best health, but they're old. They'll get it, sure. Dude, I'm trying to play sports. I'm trying to enjoy my life. I'm trying to, you know, I'm struggling right now. And I'm trying to figure this stuff out for myself. And here I am, you know, with, you know, for lack of a better word, cyborg. Um, so that was a struggle to go through. And it was tough kind of trying to find my identity as someone who was young again and someone who could um, believe in myself. Because at that time in my life, I hadn't really believed in myself and my capabilities for a long time. So <clears throat> I think what it was was... I had the right professors around me, the right mentors, or at least some of them were the right ones, that that accountability started rubbing off. I saw people start to believe in me. And so through people starting to believe in me, I could believe in myself. Now, I told you the background story about my freshman year in public school where I got F in every one of my classes in at least one quarter. And I'd rotate quarters, so I, you know, I'd float through and, you know, get like a C plus average or something. B average, what a B minus average, whatever. Um, but I said, okay. I started to care a little bit. And it sounds like, you know, that's pathetic. Like it's, okay, you finally started to care a little bit. Like, what do you want to pat on the back? But for me at the time, that was a big deal. So I started to put more effort into my classes. I started to get results off of that. I started to get you know, those B's went to B pluses to A's. Um, 
and I, I found success in there. And that was the first time in a while I tasted success at something that I had put effort into, uh, strong effort into, at least in terms of external success. I'd felt a lot of internal success moments, but they never quite culminate. They never quite reached the external. So it was hard to see that in other people's eyes. And so then I started believing myself. So then, you know, the school that was teaching character, I started to question that. I started to say, hey, this idea of me being at my best self, what can this really mean for me? So I went into my junior year kind of with a full steam ahead approach, um, motivated, starting to do better. It started in academics. Then it started in me questioning my own character, questioning who I am, um, you know, answering the questions about who am I, where am I going? And how am I going to get there? And it was a moment of where I started to take leadership. I started to take leadership over my own life and ask those difficult questions and really try and play devil's advocate and understand myself better. And so going into my um, senior year, I so I, I'll take you to the end of my junior year. I was probably about... Um, yeah, I was about, I'm still 5'11". I was 5'11 at the time. And, you know, I weighed probably about 190, 195 pounds back then. And not a pretty, you know, looking great 190, 95 pounds. It was like, I still got 20 pounds of baby fat on me. Um, you know, I was always somewhat of an active guy, but I was active playing sports. I didn't do anything outside of practice. Um, or I mean, barely. I'd, sh I'd show up, I'd shoot the ball around, have a little fun. But I wouldn't drill, my, drill myself or anything like that. And I'd always eat somewhat healthy, but um, huge portions and everything. And I said, what? And so I was starting to taste this success in other areas of my life. And I remember one day just saying to myself, I'm tired of being fat. And it was simple. It was totally simple in my head. It just it came like a realization of I have a higher standard. I want to do something different. So the end of my junior year, you know, I, um, you know, again, it doesn't take a genius to lose some weight. And so I said, okay, there are, I know that there are, I haven't been doing them, but I know that there are two ends to the spectrum. One end is food. The other end is exercise. So I started looking up information about it. I started trying to understand things. I got some you know, whether it was some bodybuilders or whatever it was, um, exercise workout plan. I started to look up how muscles work, how to do um, ba basic workouts and stuff like that. But I was committed for this. And looking up diet plans and stuff like that, the biggest change, and I, w I was a soda junkie at the time, so the biggest change I made was cutting out all soda. The only thing I drink is, you know, one glass of milk a day and then just water, chugging water, pounding it down, you know, um, probably a gallon and a half a day. Um, honestly, I probably, I was close to two gallons a day then. I, I definitely overdid it then a little bit. Um, and I was aggressive with it. I, I wanted to get better. So I'd still work on trying, having all the nutrients that I needed um, and keep everything balanced in that way, but cut down on the calories a good amount and really start working out. And that summer I worked as a camp intern um, over over that summer between my junior and senior year, kind of mentoring other students in those short summer internship programs that I had almost failed at. 
And that was a good experience for me. So, you know, I was a, a dorm captain, basically an RA um, of high school students. So, I mean, if you guys are, if anybody's in college or has been in college or knows a lot of the stereotypical things about college dorms, imagine all the shenanigans of a freshman college dorm with people who are an average of three years younger than that. And, oh, man, God bless everybody in that building because, I mean, realistically, you don't, I don't, nobody goes to a boarding school, a freshman boarding school, and doesn't come away with tens of thousands of stories. Um, many of them I probably shouldn't say on in public here. But anyways, um, you know, you're in school with 150 people, and, man, word spreader spreads around quick, and pranks are very often... So kind of a crazy environment there. But anyways, working there that summer, I was starting to answer those questions about who am I? What am I going after? What am I doing? And most of all, I translated my success from intellectual, from the classroom to from character to the physical transformation of my body. And between that time when I said I'm tired of being fat to... My, um, probably about the fall, uh, mid fall of my senior year. So about, you know, three and a half months or so, I lost 30 pounds. And so I went from about 195 or so to about 160. And I put on muscle at the same time. So I mean, I was, I was skinny, scrawny, and scrappy. Um, you know, had some decent muscle on me, or at least more than what I had. But I was wake, you know, if I had to get up at normally 6.30 to wake everybody up in the morning to get everybody prepped and ready to go, um, I was waking up at 5 every morning. I was waking up at 5 every morning so that I could have, you know, a half a piece of fruit so I could um, go outside to the track, so I could run around the track, so I could do burpees out there, so I could do my other workout stuff so that I can come in, take a shower in time to be all ready to go to get this other crew up out of bed to get ready and on with my day. And I did that every single day. You know, I'd get the, um, I'd ask a lot of faculties for their keys so I can get into the weight room in the morning so that I could start to teach myself how to use the weights and what to do and what, you know, what are good exercises to do for my body. And I think that's where kind of my love for PT started um, to emerge a little bit. And that was really the the planting of the seed of helping people take ownership of their body because I took ownership over my body. And it's a continual process. I still have work to do. But how can I help people change not only have ownership of their body, but change their relationship that they have with their body and our bodies being amazing tools um, for what we can grow from? So I was heading into my senior year with a lot of momentum behind my back. And that that never let up. Um, we had two of our courses. One was a, um, our English class. All the seniors took it. It was literature of justice. And we got into books by, you know, Martin Luther King. And we got into As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner, trying to understand these advanced literature concepts. Um, but also ethical, challenging ethical issues too. And... We got into, um, so then we also had our, our history class. Our history class was an ethics class. Um, I think it was like ethics and political theory and philosophy or something like that. 
And I remember every day before when class would start, um, great guy, uh, German-based professor. He was my soccer coach for a while, uh, still a very good friend of mine. We would all have to stand up at the beginning of class, and we would repeat to our press professor, Ich bin hier und bereit. It's German. He comes from a German background. He took the ownership of that. But that's translated to, I'm here and I'm ready. And that wasn't just about our bodies being physically in the room and, you know, we're ready in the sense that we have a backpack with us and we'll sit in the classroom. But it, it was a, he described it as a declaration of conscience of, uh, yes, I am who I am. I bring myself forward to the table. I am prepared. I am ready to embrace this moment in life to its fullness. And it really was a call to conscience. And it was a call of, am I behaving ethically in my life? Am I doing things that cause me burden? Am I doing things that cause me to slow myself down? And that's what we are acknowledging. And in the school, there was a huge leadership component to our senior year. So it was a big learning curve for me, but it was a big rewarding learning curve. Now, remember, I'd been tasting success along the way. And so when I got this taste, man, it tasted good. This was better than, you know, the sweetest chocolate, the nice smooth avocado, you know, tons of eggs, the best sushi in the morning. I was tasting success for myself, and I hadn't tasted it to this degree in a long time. And I said, hey, I, if I can do this in one area of my life, I can do it in the next area, and I can keep doing it, and I can keep chasing it. And, oh, man, it felt so good to keep going after life. And it was just, it was spontaneous growth in a community of support. In a crazy community, sometimes a hectic community, sometimes a stress-filled community, um, sometimes a kind of overruling, demanding community, but a community of accountability of people who, when it really came to it, cared about each other a lot and pushed and, pushed and challenged each other to say, hey, I know you're doing good enough to get by, but doing good enough to get by doesn't do it for us. And so, and then, so the name of the school was Hyde, um, Hyde School, and it was in Connecticut at the time when I went there. It's up in Maine now, um, but it was, it was a great experience. It was an experience of a lot of growth for me, a lot of personal transformation, a lot of telling myself, hey, I can do this. This was the foundation for me of, it's okay to put a goal down. And it's okay to go after that. And now again, so I was getting more into physical fitness and everything. And um, I've been learning some things from the wrestling coach at the time. And this guy, beast of a guy. <clears throat> Just maybe so he could say he so he could say he could or whatever it might be. One weekend, he went out and he did a mile of burpees. So burpees, you know, typical Spartan workout, typical CrossFit workout. Um, it's basically you're doing a push-up, you're jumping up in the air onto your feet, and you do a jump straight up in the air, hands in the air, and back down, and that's one. Well, so this time instead of jumping up in the air, he jumped forward. So you do a push-up, come up to your feet, 
take a long jump, two leg jump together, jump forward as long as you can. And then your hands go down right on that spot where your feet were. Do the push up, come back, jump up in the air, then you jump forward again. And he did that for a mile. He did that for four laps around the track. It took him, I think he said like, oh, I can't remember how long it was, like two hours, 20 minutes or something like that. And, and this was probably, you know, early spring. So I said, okay, I'm going to do that. So one weekend, you know, I talked one of my friends into it, and he did a quarter mile with me. And he didn't join me for the next time, but the next weekend after that, I did a half mile. And man, it was grueling. It was tough. But it was something where I said I'd do it. And I put my mind to it and I did it. Um, you know, this whole idea about simply not easy. Surviving the boarding school life, man, it's simple. You got to know who you are. You got to find out who you are. It's not easy at all. Transferring my body for changing my diet and increasing my exercise. Totally simple. Absolutely simple. You can Google anything anywhere and find out information that will at least lead you in the right direction for the most part to help you get started. Not easy. Not a chance it was easy. I was exhausted. I was working my butt off. Um, it was tough. It was absolutely tough. I was rewiring the way I think, rewiring the way I work. A mile of burpees? It's simple. You do one, then you do another one. You already know the movement after you've done a hundred of them you can do another hundred of them easy not a chance buddy so i told myself i'd do it before i graduated so i can't remember if it was a week before or two weeks before graduation was but i basically had the date and i said hey there's no other day this has to be this one so i got out to the track on two the two corners of the track opposite from each other i put out two gatorade bottles and then two water bottles on the other two corners and i put some music on and i did a mile of burpees now it took me forever i wasn't like the wrestling coach that could do it in just over two hours it took me three hours and 40 minutes and so like i said i wasn't the most most athletic guy but i was you know about 160 pounds of muscle at the time and I banged those babies right out. Um, it was grueling. It was rough. There were times I wanted to quit. But I told myself I was going to do it. And man, simply not easy. Show up and get it done. And our high school experience ended. Um, for graduation, it was kind of special. It wasn't just the head of school talking at graduation. It wasn't all these other recognitions. It was... Graduation ceremony was every single student that was graduating. I graduated with 52 in my class. Small school, small boarding school. We each gave a speech. We each gave a between a minute and a half and two minute speech com that talked about culminating who we are. Again, the questions of who am I? Where am I going? And how am I going to get there? Taking those ideas about just what I said, who, who we are, where am I going, and how am I going to get there, and reflecting on our experience and our growth at the school so far. And that was the graduation. That was, we got to hear from every single one of our classmates what they were doing. And 
throughout this process, it wasn't enough just to be in these tough, rigorous classes, but for a senior year, you know, a lot of people for high school, their senior year kind of winds down, it gets easier, you know, you've already gotten to college, you're good, you're coasting. Oh, heck no, not in this school, we had senior evals. This wasn't based on grades. Finals finished a little bit early. Um, while we were still in classes, we were going through these. These were, we'd sit in long meetings with our entire class and with all the teachers. And we'd evaluate each other, evaluate each other on our character, give everybody feedback on the people that we've experienced them to be throughout our however many years that we were there for. Um, I was there for three years. A lot of people were there for three years. Some were there for four, some were there for two. Um, but it was a chance to delve deep, to get at the root of the character of who we are, so that before going forward, before being prepared to get out into the world, we would have that feedback, that understanding, the, um, and at least an opportunity to answer the challenging questions of who are we, who am I, where am I going, and how am I going to get there? But it's not enough just to have the answers to those, but we have to take a critical look and perspective from other people about what's really going on. Where's my reality check? Where's my accountability? So what I really want to leave you guys with um, is to question. Ans answer the questions to yourself. Who are you? Down to the root of things in life, who are you? Where are you going from here? And what's the game plan? How are you going to get there? And when you think about that game plan about how you're going to get there, remember, simply not easy. It doesn't have to be easy, but simplify your life. Boil it down. How are you going to get there? Other than lastly, what's one thing you can do? What's an action step that you can do to help create a culture of accountability for yourself? Because I was fortunate to go into a school that had that in place. There were growing pains because that culture, culture of accountability mean, meant a culture of accountability. You can't escape from that. But that's not going to happen everywhere. So how can you create that for yourself? How can you create accountability? And not accountability to, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll hang out, I'll watch TV, I'll have a brownie, I'll take the easy road. No, accountability to who your best self is. But that means you have to be in touch with yourself and find your best self. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for enjoying my rambling tangents about life. I hope you found them meaningful. I've enjoyed this process. I'm looking forward to sharing more with you on the next episode.